Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Well, good evening. Let me add my welcome to Paul. It's, it's very good to have you with us here tonight. And uh, we had this wonderful psalm, Psalm 18, before us to look at together. Uh, do turn back to it if you close your Bibles. It's page 551 in the Pew Bibles. Let's pray for God's help as we look together at his word. David writes, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Father, we pray tonight that you would help us to sing that same song of love that David sang all those years ago, even in a world full of darkness and terror, even when you seem to be so far off. With the words of this psalm, help us. Uh, to sing this love song and to mean it and to live our lives in accord with it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is often said that the older you get, the more stuck in your ways you become. I was thinking about this this week and I realized just surveying my own life that uh, I always take my coffee black, I always shop in the same shops and wear the same clothes as Paul Williams, it turns out, and (laughs) buy the same kind of car and go on the same holidays, and I eat the same kind of food, and I always get annoyed by the same things. I I get annoyed by drivers who just don't indicate correctly, and I always get annoyed by people in front of me in the queue at the shop who are so busy talking that they don't realize that a space has become available in the till. Just imagine what I'll be like in 30 years' time. Psalm 18 is about an old man who has become stuck in his ways. The heading tells us that it's a psalm of David, and we read in the heading that it comes at a time when God had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies. In fact, we know exactly when this song was was written and sung, because Psalm 18 in front of us tonight is identical all 50 verses, with a song David sang in 2 Samuel 22. And in 2 Samuel 22, it happened right at the end of his life. It could have been his final words on his deathbed. We're not quite sure. And so you can imagine old King David with his slippers on and a rug over his knees next to the fire. And he, and he gathers anyone around who, who will listen to him. And he talks And he sings. And as we look at this song tonight, we see it comes from from an old man who is incredibly stuck in his ways. But not in a grumpy, bitter kind of way. Because Psalm 18 is a love song. Verse 1 again. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Or verse 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Here is an old man who has seen much of life, lots of highs and lots of lows, and his days are drawing to a close. And the one thing he is utterly convinced about is that he loves the Lord. 
I wonder tonight, as we all grow older, I wonder what kind of heart we are developing. What kind of patterns are taking hold of us and are becoming established. I wonder what songs we sing. Uh, For those of us who are more advanced in years, do, do, do people hear us around us? Do they hear us singing a love song to the Lord? I love you, my Lord. For those of us who are, who are younger in life, how can we establish a view of God in this messy world which enables us to, with integrity and honesty, sing this love song and mean it? I want others to hear it as well. Well, I think Psalm 18 will help us. The opening two verses give us David's attitude, but then he goes on to show us why he loves the Lord, why this is such an established and ingrained position that he, had, he holds. It's a long psalm. In fact, it's the third longest in the Psalter, far too much for us to cover in detail. But tonight, I want to pick out three observations that old King David has to make about his experience of living with the Lord that has fueled and sustained his love. And we need these for us tonight. First of all, God has rescued David from his greatest enemy. This is uh, looking from verse 13 to verse nine, sorry, from verse three to verse 19. God has rescued David from his greatest enemy. Verse three. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. If you know David's story, which you can find in 1 and 2 Samuel, then you'll know that um, over the course of his life, he had lots of enemies over the years. But David doesn't mention in this psalm particular enemies and moments. In fact, I think that the heart of his reflection is there in verse 4. Here's the key problem for David. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The stairs of death confronted me. It's as if a death is a net that has caught David in its grips. And no matter how he squirms and turns, he can't get himself free of the net. Or if you've ever gone swimming in the surf after a big storm and the waves are, are massive And as you go out, you find yourself being knocked over by the huge waves. And just as you're getting up from the first wave, a next wave comes crashing over you. And again and again and again, you just can't stand in the surf. Well, that's verse 4. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. David's talking about death. Historically, we can imagine the kinds of moments David is talking about. There's that moment when Saul hurled a spear at David. Another moment when David was trapped in a cave inches from Saul, inches from death. But the point is, for David, the threat of death was not theoretical. Death wasn't something that he watched on TV from a distance or read about in crime thrillers. No, he had personally come face to face with the very real threat of death. And in that moment... David realized that he could do nothing to free himself from the snare of death. As we look at the news over the last few weeks and months, it's hard to avoid the threat of death. Paul mentions the various moments, and there are many more as well, where we've seen death 
come on people suddenly. And I guess we would do well to expect there to be further reports of death. We live in a world full of terror. And of course, the thing about terrorism is that the greatest terror of terrorism is that it can end in our death. You see, death is the great problem. If if there wasn't any death, then terrorism wouldn't be as terrible. But it is terrible because it can be deadly. If we ever sat next to someone on the verge of their own death, as I have, then you will know that in that moment as death approaches, death is not in the top 100 greatest threats they face, or even in the top 10. Death is the great enemy for that person on their deathbed. And so some of us here tonight will look at the world around us and think about our own deaths and think it feels like a snare and we can't see how we can ever get away from it. It it overwhelms us. But there'll be others of us here tonight who react differently. We try to run away from death and ignore it because it's so terrible. We, We trivialize it by calling death just a new chapter in people's lives or we ignore it by filling our hearts and minds with all kinds of temporary pleasures like holidays and houses and cars or for others, we get so consumed by other immediate threats Exam results, the next job interview, sickness, all important things in and of themselves. But if we reduce the threat in our lives to those kinds of things, then we forget the great, big, huge, towering threat that hangs over each of us, our death. I remember a few years ago, I was involved in a a survey of a new housing estate And uh, one of the questions we asked people on the estate was, what is the greatest problem you are facing at the moment? And most people talked about unemployment or loneliness or finances, all important things. But none of them said death. But the old man, David, well, he has come to realize how fragile life is. He knows what it's like to face the reality of death. And that is why I think David loves the Lord. Because look what happens next. David is trapped in the snares of death, but then verse seven. The earth trembled and quaked and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he, the Lord, was angry. God is angry, I think, at at the enemies of David and most importantly, the great enemy, death. And what follows is a a most remarkable graphic cosmic intervention as the Lord swoops down and rescues David. Verse eight, there's smoke from God's nostrils, fire from his mouth. Verse nine, he parts the heavens and comes down. There's, There's cherubim and dark clouds and hail and thunder and arrows and bolts of lightning and the foundations of the earth were exposed. And all of this, as the Lord responds to David's cry. And so wonderfully, verse 17, David is able to testify. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. God has rescued David from his greatest enemy, even death itself. There'll be some of you uh, here tonight with uh, an eagle-eyed vision, and uh, you'll be looking at David's account of God's rescue from sort of verse 7 down to verse 15, and 
looking at these uh, cosmic pictures of God stepping into the world, and then you'll cast your mind back to 1 and 2 Samuel and to the accounts of David's life, and you'll say, well, well, hang on a minute, we didn't actually see at any point in David's life uh, smoke and God's nostrils and, and fire and, and lightning bolts and, and the, the earth being exposed. We just saw David dodging a spear, or we saw Saul leaving a cave at just the right time. And at a human level, that is what happened. But behind the scenes, David is in no doubt that the hand that controls the course of human history is the all-powerful hand of the Lord. And Psalm 18 offers us a glimpse backstage into the control room of history, a glimpse into the awesome or powerful God at work. And don't we need that glimpse as we look at the world around us today? And so in verse 16, David writes, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. God has rescued David from his greatest enemy. I remember uh, many years ago when uh, my family were heading off for a family holiday in Scotland and we packed the car up and we jumped in the car and we headed north. We were heading off on a long journey north into the highlands And 30 minutes into our journey, there was a loud bang from the front of the car, and uh, the engine just stopped instantly on the motorway, and uh, we had to pull over on the hard shoulder, and there was nothing. The engine was completely gone. And uh, we were clearly in need of rescue there on the hard shoulder. Now, when the uh, AA man came and towed us home, you could say that he had rescued us from being stranded on the motorway. Our holiday was gone, but at least we were rescued um, from being on the hard shoulder. And uh, we were grateful for his rescue. It was a real help. But we didn't bow down and worship the AA man. We didn't sing songs of love praising his rescue. (laughs) Because the size of the rescue controls the size of the gratitude And when we realize that God is able to rescue us from the great enemy, death, well, that's when our hearts well up with authentic, enduring love. But in Psalm 18, there is a problem. David's old. Yes, he's dodged death for many years, but his time is coming. And he will die, he does die. So how can David speak with such confidence about his testimony to God's ability to rescue him from death when he is about to die? Well, I think the final verse of the psalm is so very helpful. Just flick over the page, if you would, to verse 50 of the psalm. And David says these words, verse 50. He, the Lord, gives his king great victories... He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. As so often, David, the great king of Israel, points us forward to an even greater king. Many, many centuries later, in Acts 2 in the New Testament, Peter, 
in his great speech, explains that God the Father did not abandon his king, the anointed Jesus, to the grave, but raised him back to life through his resurrection. And the resurrection of Jesus, the offspring of David, his descendant, means that death has been defeated for all time. And so, yes, David did die a physical death, but I think he had encountered enough of the Lord who is able to defeat death that he knew that his Lord would find a way to once and for all beat death for eternity. And he looked to his descendants as the one who would bring about this final victory. And the Lord Jesus has come and he has defeated death once and for all. And we know it because he has been raised from the dead. The Lord doesn't make us specific promises about our lives in the present in so many areas, about our health, about our next job interview, about our marriages, or about how easy our lives would be, will be. It would be lovely, wouldn't it, if we had a list of very specific um, expectations. Here's what will happen, here, here, and here, and here, and just trust God for each one. But that's not how the Bible works. Instead, we have tremendous, absolute certainty when it comes to the biggest issues of life and the biggest of them all, death itself. God has rescued David from his greatest enemy and so he too will rescue us from our greatest enemy, death itself. Which means we can say with David, the Lord is my rock. My fortress, my deliverer, God is my rock in whom I take refuge. So if we are to be people who, as we grow older in life, become more and more stuck in our ways regarding our love for the Lord, well, our first observation is this. God has rescued us from our greatest enemy. Got two more observations. These will be much more uh, quick than the first one. Uh, The next one is this God rescues those who rely on Him. Just looking at verses 20 to 42, God rescues those who rely on Him. Having spoken so clearly about God's ability to rescue, well, this next section, it kind of seems to jar in the flow of the song. Uh, One commentator sort of pointed out that it feels a bit like Santa Claus theology. You know how Santa Claus works in um, the songs? If, If you're good, then he will reward you with good gifts. And on first reading it, it feels as if that's what David is saying to us. Look at verse 20. He says, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. Do you see? David, faithful, clean hands. God rewards him with this brilliant victory over death itself. Verse 24, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. And I think this is how so many people in the world around us think This is how God works, they believe. If you're good enough, then God rewards you with good gifts. But that's not, I think, what is happening here in Psalm 18. 
One summer when I was a student, I, um, I got a job working as a gardener. I actually, I guess uh, the title gardener is a bit too grand for what I was doing. I was um, uh, raking leaves and cutting grass, that sort of thing, helping out. Uh, but the work was physical, um, it was hard, and at the end of a long day and a long week, I, I, I was exhausted. And when the paycheck came, I felt that I had definitely earned my wage. It was hard work. How did I feel about my employer? Well, every week when the money came into my account, I was pleased they had kept their word and and paid me. But I didn't love them because they were simply giving me what I deserved. I'd worked hard, they gave me my reward. And when that's the dynamic, it doesn't lead to love and praise, it just leads to fairness. One brilliant way to kill love in the heart of a Christian for God is for that Christian to think that we somehow have earned our rescue. That we have somehow worked hard over here and thus achieved a reward from God over here. And in a song that's so full of love and thanksgiving, it's not conceivable that David thought that he was simply working his way into God's good books. It just doesn't fit the tone of the psalm. David is overflowing with love and gratitude and thanksgiving to God. And so I don't think David views his rescue from death as a wage for good behavior. And certainly not when we remember that David is speaking at the end of his life, which means that it's after he's committed adultery with Bathsheba and after he's murdered her husband and after he wrongly counted all the fighting men and brought a great judgment on God's people. No, David was a sinner He was someone who failed to live up to God's standards. And so how can he speak with such confidence about his righteousness and faithfulness? Well, I think in part it was because David was a man who remained loyal to God. Yes, he sinned. Yes, he made mistakes. But he never turned away from God. And when God set up his relationship with the people of Israel, his covenant, he made provision for their sin through sacrifice. A faithful Israelite was not a perfect Israelite, but rather one who made the appropriate sacrifice for sin. Faithfulness meant coming back to the Lord, aware of shortcomings and offering sacrifices to God to cover the sin. And so I think at least in part, that is what David means when he says, I've been faithful, I've been righteous, I haven't been perfect, but I've come back to you, Lord. I've been loyal and I've offered the right sacrifices. And yet, even still, verses like verse 23 seem, well, they seem overly confident. Look at verse 23 right right at the end. David says, I have kept myself from sin. Really? Bathsheba? murder I wonder if yet again David is speaking better than he realizes for the sacrifices of goats and bulls could never fully take away our sin but when Christ Jesus offered his life as the final perfect sacrifice he really did take away all our sin listen to how one New Testament writer puts it 1 John 1 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
Wonderful words. It means that a, a person riddled with sin, a person like me, can come before the Lord and look to his one perfect sacrifice, the Lord Jesus, and realize that he died the death I deserve, making me pure and sinless in God's sight. I think that's the kind of trajectory that Psalm 18 takes us on. You see, there are other gods that David could have trusted in, foreign god, gods of the land, or he could have trusted in himself, in his own sword, his own strategies, his his own intelligence. But he chose to trust in the Lord, the one true God. And in that sense, he was faithful and righteous. And that is why David was rescued. It is how anyone can be rescued, not through a, a perfect moral record, but by casting ourselves onto the Lord as David did. God rescues those who rely on him. And I think once again, that is why David loved the Lord. Because he knew that he hadn't earned his salvation through good behavior, but rather he had cast himself on the Lord and experienced his forgiveness and his faithfulness. It's an important reminder for us It's so easy for those of us who are Christians to slip into a a mindset that the Lord is pleased with us when we do lots of good things. But the Christian life is a life built on God's faithfulness and on his rescue. The reading of the rest of this section in Psalm 18 is is a bit like a a review for a film. Uh, Perhaps you want to go see a film in the cinema, maybe the new Bourne film coming out. And uh, you wonder, is it any good? Is it worth me spending my hard-earned cash to go and watch the film? Well, you go and read the reviews. You see what people think who have been to see the film themselves. And if a reviewer who's seen the film says, it is brilliant, you have to go, well, then you, you probably go. That's how reviews work. Well, I think David's life lived with the Lord is like a review of what it feels like. And he would thoroughly recommend it. He says it's brilliant. Uh, Yes, on one hand, David gives his all to the Lord. So so verse 37, he says, I pursued my enemies and overtook them. I I did not turn back until they were destroyed. David was zealous for the Lord. But then notice why David was able to act. Verse 39, you armed me with strength for the battle. And again and again in the psalm, it is God who enables and protects and sustains David. And so David would say to each one of us tonight, look, relying on the Lord, turning to him, being loyal to him, it is completely worth it. I have lived my life like that. And as an old man, I look back and the Lord has kept me. Go for it. Build your life on him. He won't let you down. Of course, we're not in the same physical battle that David was in. As we go out, we proclaim that the victory is already won in Christ as we proclaim the gospel. And yet, what will sustain us as we go out proclaiming victory that the Lord has won for us? Well, if we rely on our own strength and our own resources, we'll quickly give up. It's why the monthly church prayer meeting is so important for us as we come before the Lord reminding ourselves that we rely on him for all our strength 
It's why it's so important for each one of us individually on our own when no one can see us to spend private time with our Lord in prayer, reminding ourselves that we need him, that we rely on him, asking him to be at work in our lives. And David would say to us, when you ask, he does come in and act in wonderful ways. It's why it's so important for us as Christians not to be simply busy, but rather to be those who trust in the Lord and in his power and salvation. You see, I reckon if we become busybodies who don't trust in the Lord, sooner or later we will stop loving the Lord because we aren't seeing his power at work in us. We're simply relying on ourselves. But as we commit our lives into God's hands and see him again and again step through in amazing ways, well, I think our love grows and we praise him more. God rescues those who rely on him. Finally, and very quickly, our last observation from the old King David that will keep us going. God rescues us for a purpose. And this is uh, verses 43 to 50. It would be easy, I, I guess, for David and for us to sit back and rest in the wonderful news that God has defeated our greatest enemy death, that he will keep us through until uh, the new creation. And we think, brilliant, we've made it. Our lives are in safe hands. But for King David, there isn't that sense of just sitting back and, and wallowing in his own rescue. He had a much bigger view. Now, we don't have time to go in detail into these final verses. But you'll notice as you scan through that David has an eye for the nation's. He wants to be someone who goes out into the nations as a leader, yes, but also one who announces God's victory to the nations. And look with me at verse 48. Oh, actually, verse 49. Therefore, I will praise you among the nations, O Lord. I will sing praises to your name. You see, the, the final point of the Lord's great victory in the life of David was that people from all nations would hear about the power of the Lord and I think that they would be brought in to be co-singers in this love song about God's rescue. And as we finish, Psalm 18 verse 49 is quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans 15 as Paul explains that the victory that Christ has won, the gospel, is to be for all nations, Jew and Gentile. And as Paul and other missionaries and us here tonight, as we go out into the nations proclaiming the news of victory in Christ, we are fulfilling Psalm 18. God has saved us for a purpose, to praise his name amongst the nations and to bring in new co-praisers who have also discovered that the Lord brings victory over death. And so King David would plead with us, I think, tonight to not wallow in our salvation, but to be those who go out into the nations in the Lord's strength, proclaiming victory over death and how our world needs to hear about that victory. And I reckon as we sing the Lord's praises, well, I reckon it'll do nothing more than spur us on to keep loving him more and more. Tonight we've seen an old man, the old King David, on his deathbed. A man incredibly fixed in his ways, 
a man who loved the Lord. And I wonder when our moment comes, and it will come, and we too are on our deathbeds, I wonder what will be ingrained in our hearts. May it be a love song to the Lord. O oh Lord, I love you. You are my rock, my refuge, and my shelter. Let's pray. Father, in the darkness of uh, the world around us, we've been reminded again and again, so recently, painfully, terribly, of the bleakness, uh, the terror of living in this world where there is no hope of eternal life. And so, Father, we would praise you once again that in the Lord Jesus, you have given us victory over the greatest enemy, death. Help us to think about our own deaths, all right, Father? And Father, please, would you help us to go out into the nations singing songs of victory, singing songs of love for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has been raised from death, bringing us wonderful victory. And Father, please, would there be on that final day when Christ returns, as the nations gathered, would there be many from different tribes, tongues, and nations singing praise to the Lamb who has brought us this wonderful victory? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.